Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. Women of the Middle East. This podcast relates the realities of Arab women and their rich and diverse experiences. It aims to present the multiplicity of their voices and wishes to break overdue cultural stereotypes about women of the Middle East. My name is Amal Malki. I'm a feminist, scholar, and educator. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. This is season four, Women Voices Across Genres, where I will be speaking to women producing feminist content across different genres and outlets. These courageous voices delve into untapped areas such as women with disability, hybrid identities, intergenerational trauma, feminist narrative and activism, and much, much more. I'm your host, Amal Malki, contributing to creating a new narrative about us by us. This is Women of the Middle East podcast. Hello and welcome to Women of the Middle East podcast. We have an exceptional guest today, all the way from the magical Oman. Uh, Her Highness Sayyida Basma Said, born to a mother from the UK and a father from Oman, is a well-established mental health clinical counselor and hypnotherapist and PTSD trainer with over 21 years of experience. She is the founder of Whispers of Serenity, Oman's first of its kind mental health clinic and holistic well-being center since 2011. Basma, lovely to have you on Women of the Middle East podcast. Dr. Ahmed, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I like how you always make me younger. It's 23 years, but I like it. I like it. <laughs> always young. Very excited to be on this podcast. Well, I'm very, very happy really to have you. We did have you last, uh, well, beginning of this month. Uh, you paid us a uh, visit and you saw our studio and we talked a bit about the podcast. So we're very lucky to have you. And we are very lucky in the Arab world to have women like you. Um, there are many areas that I would love to cover and talk to you about. Um, some are um, within the areas of, of shame and stigma in our part of the world, but others are areas that we've already breaking, uh, broke um, barriers in. Uh, one of which is embracing oneself and, and accepting oneself. So you're a hybrid. Your mother is from one culture, your father from another culture. The cultures are not basically similar at all. Um, talk to me about the fusion of both cultures in your, you know, the way you represent yourself, uh, how um, much of this uh, fusion uh, has spilled over in your choices in life. Tell me more about you as a hybrid. So really, actually, um, it's quite interesting because it, it doesn't matter how much you are mixed in cultures. In the end, there's some very similarities. Like people from Ireland are very family-oriented, very you know that they have that kind of uh, culture, and we have it as well. Even though, I mean, my mom lived in London, did not live uh, in Ireland, but it was a big. Uh, uh, first of all, I was able to make this lovely connection between two cultures. Um, it made me who I am today. Uh, it made me learn a lot about different cultures, basically, as well, and be open to accepting different cultures. In my job, it was a huge plus because I always think it's good to learn from different cultures, how they feel, how they function, what goes to their brain, and this was how I was brought up. A lot of summers I would spend it in the UK, as I'm sure a lot of people too, but with me it was the family there as well. Um, a lot of times I would actually um, 
connect with lots of new people every summer and staying with my granny was a big huge plus so she was a person who actually looked after people who were elderly who had autism so that since i was small i used to see this kind of culture of giving back to society of being in mental health so it was very natural for me when i chose what i chose to be in this field so honestly it's been a lovely lovely experience so in those 23 years, um, what are the main issues that you think have emerged? Um, but, but also if there has been any change in, in uh, the intensity uh, or the degree of those issues post-COVID, for example. So basically, uh, we noticed uh, that the problems that were already there and uh, people who are already going through things, if it was socially, or psychologically, it basically escalated in COVID. So it didn't just suddenly appear, you know, there was some kind of something happening before. And we can even notice, if I bring uh, my own story, because I like to make it more uh, relatable, that, I, for example, alhamdulillah, I don't have anxiety or stresses. I have the normal anxieties and stresses, that's the normal, which we all have, and I do get sad and upset, the normal sad and upset. In COVID, actually, I did get very stressed in the beginning. I was very worried. I was very worried for my kids, for my family. I basically, in the beginning, even didn't want to do any work. I just wanted to bring my whole family and, like, you know, save them all together. Then to get out of that, and this is what I always do in everything that goes by me, I had to find a solution. I was not happy with that. I was like, no, I have to do something. So when I started doing the hotlines in COVID, working towards what we can do, I slowly came out of it. So this is an example, for example. So imagine if somebody actually is severely anxious or has OCD, especially OCD, because in COVID we were all taught or told to wash our hands all the time, to wear the mask all the time. So it's reoccurring, repeat, repeat, repeat. And also the fear of every day hearing new information. Of course, people who are going through it have already, you know, gone through so much. And this is more. I even remember one of the clients telling me, uh, you see, it was important to wash my hands all the time because she had OCD. I was like, hmm, okay, this part was right. And us from telling people to be social and see other people, we're telling people, no, you know, you need to only keep your distance, you know, only connect emotionally. We were telling kids, no, 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 you know, go inside. So we basically change the whole concept of us telling people you need to be with others you need to be social so of course all of these things um have made things a bit i mean difficult at the time now we're in a phase where well now it's a bit better let's say but let's say a few months back we were like okay now all take off your masks okay now all go back to work normal now all, and that's crazy as well because it's like two extremes it had to be done slowly desensitization so a lot of people if not all of us are going through ptsd in in certain you know steps not everybody's going through it the same way but it's not a little thing that had happened i mean and still kind of now we have weird cold which maybe we forgot how colds are or maybe because our, our body was you know inside inside and now all the kids are back to school everything so things that happen to me are very huge changes but we are as God created us able to adapt and that is the good thing but sometimes we adapt too fast and then we you know go back a hundred uh, miles back 
or 100 steps back. So we need to do things gradually. Definitely. I, for one, know. Uh, it hit me very hard, as you said, um, maybe because, you know, we wanted to bring, you know, our parents, our family together. And this is why I would say that the impact of COVID on women was actually, you know, yeah, the gendered impact was disproportionate, really. And it had um, a more intense impact on women, uh, whether you're uh, because of, you know, working outside uh, the house or inside the house. But we are the main caregivers um, and, and this has impacted our stress levels, our, um, you know, besides, you know, being burnt out. Have you seen those cases in your clinic? I've seen cases of women being burnt out before COVID. <laughs> I've seen in COVID men being burnt out, actually, because also they're the breadwinners. Now we have the economy problem, all of that. And also the women, of course, they are, as you said, they're looking after the family. They're also working. There's also a lot of social problems where now we have to deal with who we live with, you know, for hours and hours where before maybe there'll be school, there'll be uh, work. So you, you were busy. Now you're all told to stay in this, you know, the space day and night. But that also was because there was problems before and now it's escalated. There is no couple that suddenly the problem doesn't happen. So that, that's something I really want to highlight. As to do with gender, again, uh, of course, as men and women physically were different. But uh, socially, sometimes there's a lot of things that we, we tend to also look uh, in a certain way because of culture, because of religion. All of these aspects have to do with how we function. Um, in COVID, uh, things did change, dynamics changed. Uh, some changed to the better, some to the worse. Some we're still fixing up till now. But it was a good time to actually um, reflect and notice is it is this a good relationship or isn't it is it is it a compatible relationship are we both in this relationship or is it just one person doing everything i always tell women you are not the only person in this relationship you did not have this child alone so a lot of people just say oh but she's the mother yeah but there's a dad everybody has a dad <laughs> you know there's a dad so that kind of thing is what we have to keep on infusing sadly some women think even the men sometimes it's the women that encourage that thinking of oh, only women should do this or this is a woman's job alone and that is tiring because we're fighting for them and then it's backlashing from them and that that's what's not good and it makes us look weaker in front of i'm not gonna say our comfort because we are together we live in this life together we cannot live alone. don't kid yourself you cannot you this is how god created us and this is how it's supposed to be, where we both complete each other. But things happen, the journey of life changes, and we just have to remember to fix it and not just let it go. And that's what our ancestors did, maybe our, our grannies, they were like, oh, you know, as in Arabic, meshi, meshi, it's okay, we eat, we have a place to sleep, you know, what else do we want? Of course, that is not the necessities of life only. So these are things that we need to now, as this generation and the generations to come, to fix. So the journey needs to be fixed. It cannot just go on with no static. Of course, we need static, but also the static needs to be reviewed. I totally agree with you and, and lots of work has to be done in this area in specific. But I know that one of the areas that you um, also like working on is self-esteem. 
um, and you're focused on. Tell me more, how do you evaluate the level of self-esteem of our youth, for example? Is there a generational gaps, uh, conflicts that would you know, cause a lack of self-esteem? Is there a resistance from the older generation? Tell me more about this. So basically, when we talk about self-esteem, we always say build it. And when you build it, that means you're building a foundation that is strong. Your family is your first school. If your family build this foundation strong, you will have amazing self-esteem. If your family is breaking your self-esteem and not teaching you to be it, you know, sometimes you need to, you need the support of your family to learn it. As a child, you're born with self-esteem, by the way. We always see children doing things as, you know, jumping or running or going to eat something. They're born with high self-esteem. We actually break it without knowing. Sometimes it's from worry or fear. Like we see, oh, they're going to eat something on the ground. Oh my God, oh my God, you know, that kind of. And slowly, slowly, we're actually cracking. Oh, we'll say, oh, maybe you can't do that because we can't do it. So we're like, oh my God, you know, she can't do it. But how do you know she can't do it? It's your worries reflecting. You're mirroring your fears towards your child. I always say having a self-esteem is such a power. It's such a super weapon but it needs to be done properly. Now, when it comes to this generation, we have a, a good group of people with very high self-esteem, but sometimes it's too high. And then we have another group who's too low. So you see, it's really, they're not meeting up in the middle. And having very low self-esteem brings um, jealousy, brings fear, brings corruption. Self-esteem is a huge thing. People don't really realize. And having over self-esteem sometimes could also do the same. And these are defense mechanisms. Some people don't have high self-esteem. They just show that they have it. And you notice inside they're actually really, really weak, but they have to put this defense and others just don't want to try. Like the amount you said, but you can do it. No, I can't. But did you try? Oh, I know if I try, I can't. So it's basically negative, negative, negative all the time. Building it, making programs to build it. Um, schools need to build it as well. We have schools that now kind of they've changed their techniques. When I was uh, in school, I was in a government school. It, the, there was nothing about, you know, uh, doing projects, fun projects that actually teach you how to speak in front of a class. It was all memorizing and, you know, you have to just keep on with the religion or poetry. And it was just like a machine, you know, you didn't even understand it. And you, you memorize from fear because if you don't memorize it, you'll be in a problem with your teacher, right? But actually teaching how to present, making it creative. These are things that schools can do and they make the child feel, you know, I can do it. I mean, yesterday I was in an event for uh, children and youth that have stutter. And that's one of the biggest problems that uh, you would have in a school and people would bully this person or they would actually be very clever, but they would have fear because of the confidence. So then yesterday, again, we were talking about how important it is to have self-esteem in your life. Um. You've spoken, uh, you've spoken about schools and you've spoken about wanting to include mental health, education and school curriculum. Now, there are a couple of um, efforts and endeavors um, uh, across the, the Gulf. Uh, we know one in Kuwait, for example. But um, what are the obstacles for doing that? What do you think uh, are the obstacles and how to overcome those obstacles? I see that the context in Oman is really... Um, um, conducive and, and open-minded and I think it would be lovely to see Oman leading this way too. Tell me more, what would the obstacles be? I 
think the obstacles is the basically if you give up, which we don't give up for myself, I don't give up. The obstacles will be talking to government and them not listening or saying yeah 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 yeah, and then you know years and years to pass. So then the the the, the biggest obstacle would be you. Are you going to give up or are you going to push this more? You know, a lot of times they'll say, what's your challenges? And I'll be like, in the beginning, I would think, and like, yeah, I know what my challenge Now I'm just thinking, you know what? It's me. If I give up, halas. If I don't give up and challenge myself, I can do it. And that's the obstacle. There's going to be so many things happening. So many people are going to put you down. So many people are going to say uh, whatever. Some people are not going to say anything in your face. But they will be saying behind you, which is even worse. Some people say, yeah, 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 we're going to help you. We're going to, we think this is an amazing program. And and the amount of programs that one has given as an option to do are so many. But for whatever reason they have, if it's the if it's the, the income, if it's the, the workload. So what do you do? Do you give up? Do you say, ah, oh, halas, I've tried my best and nobody is listening? No, you do it yourself. And that's what we're doing. So through Not Alone, through the clinic, I try my best to push ideas that are important for our youth and for the adults in a different way. And then once you do things, you know, sometimes government goes, oh, wait a minute, look at this. You know, this is the light. So they're like, hmm, maybe we should listen to them, which is interesting, but it happens. This is the reality of how we live. But if you're going to give up and go, and this is what I want to tell the youth today, stop just being, don't be sensitive. It's not for you. It's just how life is. If you keep on being sensitive and giving up, your amazing ideas that you have as youth, and they have amazing ideas, will just disappear. So you have to push. I mean, with our generation, it's just about do it, try it, try and try and try. We were put down so many times. We're still being put down. We can, we are sensitive. It's not bad to be sensitive, but not too sensitive. Too sensitive can ruin all your work, basically, and make you blinded to what the good things you can Definitely, but we also need to create those spaces for them where they can voice their opinions. And I see that the youth don't have those spaces as well. So we're not doing a good job. Our generation is not doing a good job by doing And as you said, I see it because I'm an educator too. So I see the trophy generation where, you know, I think we spoiled them because each time they have done the smallest achievement, we gave them a trophy. So they think really high of themselves. But we've got to this other generation that was hit by a pandemic and that was hit by, um, um, you know, social distancing and now is very, lacks self-confidence, lack uh, the ability to even talk or voice what what they feel. Um, so can I say something about this point? Tell me. Um, you're right in every point you said. But just think of it in another way. This generation, obviously, and it's not, the, the COVID just hit now, like three years, so they were, they were there before. If we're talking about not the ones that are born in COVID, the ones who are already going to university. Um, because things were so difficult in COVID, there was a lot of leeway in terms of studying in university. You guys did an amazing job online and all of that that took your time, which you were also going through fear and through stresses. Things were done a little bit easily, but not normal. The normal is to be in a class, but there was something called online, which not every student can study online. For example, my daughter, the youngest, she's not a person that can sit. I mean, we get fed up of online, you can imagine. But there was a lot of, okay, let's try and see how we can help. Okay, let's try and think how we can make it easier. So in a way, in a, in a like, 
crazy way. Was it really that bad? Like, just think of it. It wasn't the norm. Norm is to be physically somewhere. But were they left for dry? Oh, with their ideas. And now even the ideas are being used even now. So actually, it was a good turn. I think we need to look at things in so many ways. Because it's so easy to look at things in, a, in one way and just feel it was terrible. It's so easy, especially with, with how life has been. It has not been easy. Okay. But at the same time, a lot of things came out of it. New ideas, new thinking. Okay, what do we need to do differently? How can we support differently? I totally agree that when it comes to youth, they need to voice their ideas themselves, which is happening a lot, alhamdulillah. But the spaces need to be more. There is spaces now, but there needs to be more. I mean, I know you have an amazing space. You're in M7. That's I've seen it. It's beautiful. And it's for youth. I've seen it myself. But now youth need to come on. You know, pull up your socks. Let's do it. Let's work together. Two generations have to work together. You know, we have the expertise and the youth. This don't work together and the, these ones can't work together. Together, you can make amazing change. Like you now, you're in an amazing, youthful place and you're also giving your expertise. So if we talk in a different dialogue and we also include them, of course, in this dialogue, which, alhamdulillah, it's happening. Before, you used to be so annoyed. I'll go to a conference about youth. There's no youth. Wow, what's this kind of conference? I'll go to a press conference about an, uh, you know, for the, but there's no youth in the press conference. It has to be two together. And we have to look at so many different things. We're in a time where we thought that we were thinking COVID came and said, haha, you're not, you know, you're still not thinking. You did not have a proper plan B, three, two, one, nothing. You were basically shut down. And it pushed us now to think more deeply. You know, now I'm not saying this, I mean, it shows scientifically and medically, this is not going to be sadly the last pandemic. But now what are we going to do for the next one? That's the question. Are we going to be ready? Maybe we won't because we don't know again, but maybe now we have an inkling. Maybe we won't take things for granted. Last time when it happened, we were like, oh, it's in China. It's in China. It's so far. We didn't care. And that's how humans are, sadly. We didn't think, okay, but in China, they are humans. They're going through something. We thought it's so far. So God said, you know what? I'll bring it to your door. Let's see how you will deal with it. And he brought it to our door. So now are you ready for the next one? Or are we still like, you know, maneuvering? Or are we as humans do forget? That's the scary part. I was very worried that we are going to forget. And it seems that that's where we're headed. Yeah, we don't learn from history, do we? You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I've noticed um, an increase in um, awareness um, about mental health in general, but also about uh, holistic uh, well-being. Um, so if I speak about Qatar, for example, um, um, you know, many yoga studios have have emerged since uh, COVID-19 and uh, uh, lots of coaching, um, uh, you know, grassroots, uh, you know, people from here, from this society, whom you can talk to and and, and interact with, uh, who would understand where you're coming from, your culture, your gender, and all that. New things could be met with skepticism, right? What would you tell people who are faced with that type of skepticism? Skepticism has been around us from the beginning of time. Everything that's new, 
is received as weird, okay? If we go through all this, the years of the 20s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, so on, there was always something new and it was always like, what is this? And then after a while, you know, it catches up. The thing is, the way we try and convince people about our points are, I think, not the right way. We try and convince them aggressively. And anything that's convinced aggressively doesn't work because the person already is like, shut down, shut down, you know. But if we do a kind of educational convention and an and awareness, I mean, it's the same thing with mental health. If I'm going to go, you know, you have to go to the therapist, you have to because that's good for you. And, you know, this certain therapy is good for you and that certain therapy, nobody will come. Nobody will listen to me and they'll be just going, oh my God, she's just like, what, what's up with her, you know? It's the same thing with people who talk about, who talk about um, energy. Yeah, because I work with energy and, and energy and okay, hello, we have energy in Quran al-Kareem actually in, in our soul, everything. But the way we say it doesn't work. We can't force information. We have to teach information. It's very different. I mean, mashallah, you're a doctor. Teaching information is very different than forcing information. If we also force it with the normal way, like yoga is good for you because of your breathing and all of that. And you know, I heard from this certain, you know, da, 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 da. And in China or in Japan or whatever, whatever. They, and then I'll be like, yeah, okay. It's different when I say, you know, I've tried it. And, and I feel that when I use it, this, this, this. It's very different. Our dialogue has to change. And that's what I was saying earlier. Being creative. So I'm a person. I'm not very into yoga. Honestly, people think I am. I don't know. Maybe they think I'm. But I like kickboxing. Yeah, I don't find me as a yoga person. I find myself as a person that goes, you know. So when anyone comes to talk to me, and I have yoga in my clinic for people who believe in it. So it depends what makes you tick. What goes for you might not go for me. So you can't convince me in that way. You can show me, you know, that kind of, for example, when people talk about yoga and then, for example, I like laughter yoga. That I find it interesting, but I don't like the other yoga. So that I don't like it. I don't see myself in that kind of thing. Why is my friends won't see themselves in kickboxing? They find it too, what's this? It's aggressive. So it's what rocks your boat. But also what rocks your boat might not rock your friend's boat. So it's basically trying to talk, tell someone an information, not aggressively and not, I have to convince you. You know, some people come to you, I have to convince you. By the way, the moment you say that, the person's already not convinced. They've already got their guards up. So I think it's the way, so there's lots of steps. But if you're gonna go, yeah, okay, I will, you know, they say this, khalas, I won't do it. Every time you'll do something, you'll do that. Then you won't have something that you love. And that's very important. Well, what I hear from you is we are in a position right now to change, um, to create a new dialogue, to create a new narrative about us, uh, by us basically, right? So, and this is what, um, this is one of the areas that I really, really want to focus on, uh, where we are in this podcast speaking to the world, because we are, we have adopted English as, as, you know, a medium of communication, but we are also speaking internally to our own people, to our own women, before actually anyone else. 
uh, we have to really start talking about um, us and our own representation by taking ownership over it. And you are doing that. I love the fact that you say we need to start a new dialogue. We need to start talking about those things and we need to reframe it differently. When we talk about women, we need to, to talk about a woman and men. Okay, because we're together in it. Um, when we speak about youth, we need to speak about youth and families because we're also um, together in it. Um, if you want to leave us with with, with something, with um, an empowering statement, with an empowering idea, with something to reflect on, and again, as much as I, you know, I use, I've just used empowering a couple of times. Um, I, I am skeptical. Okay, with the overuse of empowerment when it comes to women, because sometimes, and depending on the context, as you said, uh, we need to contextualize everything, you know, one of which is what we gained um, out of uh, studying online, for example, and I totally agree with you. Um, but also, if we contextualize empowering in terms of women in our part of the world, it's just over um, overstated, really, because sometimes it's not empowering women that needs to be done it's empowering it's her circumstances the, the, for example the social context or the legal context bearing all of this in mind what could you leave us with so it's empowering the journey empowering the idea women are born powered i really totally believe that but in the journey they need the support it's very different from empowering i mean this is a word that we got and we just continuously use. Sometimes we don't really think about it. Um, no pressure here. You say, give us, you know, an inspiring whatever. That's like a lot of pressure. But you know what? I'm gonna make it as simple as I can. It might sound cliche, but honestly, this is what works for me personally. I, I believe any kind of change is very difficult. It's very challenging and it's something that's needed. So I also believe that change will only begin with the person themselves. And that's something, again, I've learned within the years. So you cannot say, I really, I want to change Dr. Ahmed. I want to change her ideas. No, you change how you perceive her ideas. The moment you do that, you change yourself. Then around you, your surrounding changes. And that's what will work for you. And don't think, oh, it's going to be easy peasy. It's not easy, but it's amazing because anything that doesn't have spice is extremely boring. Another thing, a lot of people say, but it's so difficult to do change. And, and you know, people and all of that, they might not like the new change and all of that. So it's about people and culture. In the end, you know, everybody goes on with their life and you're with your life. In the end, not everybody will love you and that is normal. In the end, it's okay to have people not to love you because that will actually make you think life is not as easy. You need to feel a little bit of that pinch, you know, otherwise you'll be too relaxed. You won't do anything. You'll be like, Khalas, I've done everything. Everything is going my way. So a little bit of bumps are good. A little bit of, you know, people upset with you. It's, it's fine, you know, and also it's it's amazing. People love you, Taban, but you cannot have everyone love you. There is no everyone to so those things, having change begin with you, understanding that you're going to have people who love you and people who won't, loving challenges, enjoying the journey. So getting to the top of the mountain is not the idea. The journey that you're going to spend, what you're going to see from here to the top 
is what's worth it. Otherwise, just take a helicopter and that's going to be boring. <laughs> I love it. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your thoughts with us. Uh, it was a pleasure having you on Women of the Middle East. Thank you so much. And I'm so pleased we were able to do this. And uh, I'm so happy to meet you. And I wish you all the best. And to all of the women, you can do it. Just don't think about everything that just people throw at you culture-wise. You have a brain. And your brain, we say in Arabic, use in Dhab, is as heavy as gold. So all the best. Thank you. Thank you for listening and watching. To stay up to date with Women of the Middle East podcast, you can subscribe and don't forget to rate us. If you would like to contact me directly, you can do so on Instagram or Twitter or via email. This is Women of the Middle East podcast.